to becoming the equivalent of a gold medalist in a supercomputer Olympiad. for performing lightning-fast mathematical calculations. My father's wisdom was in propelling me beyond my comfort zone. He understood that the genius within every child is hidden like a dormant seed beneath the soil. He provided the light, warmth, and rain that allowed me to blossom into a flower and uplifted me from zero to hero. His child, once considered a fairly sluggish mathematician, is now making his living performing the fastest calculation ever seen. By recognizing and acknowledging my limitations, my father gave me the greatest gift. a desire to step out of the box and challenge myself. Each of us must learn to push our boundaries. We learn with every risk taken and every step made into the unknown. I was last in first grade math. I had grown up believing that mathematical knowledge had been used for millennia, and I simply had to memorize multiplication tables and understand how to solve quadratic equations. This was easier said than done. Because I was struggling with those early steps, I didn't understand that new mathematics could still be created. Never in my wildest dreams did I foresee that I would create new mathematics and add to humanity's mathematical knowledge. The lesson I learned was that a winner never quits and a quitter never wins. Thank you. To the next generation of IITians, I say, pushing back your frontiers of science or the boundaries of what's possible within computing is a journey with an uncertain outcome. You should enjoy the journey as much as the destination. In the end, you must remember that you cannot bring about change without taking risks and challenging the status quo by making the computer as we know it today obsolete. Solving your grand challenge of making the computer disappear into the internet will be akin to setting off on a grand adventure to which you do not know the outcome. Along the way, you might make a discovery grander than the grand challenge. An even greater challenge will be to cross your personal frontier, conquer your fears, and cultivate the courage necessary to head into the unknown. Although genius lies inside of you, the challenge is to tap the genius of others to work with your own. Thank you. 
the new mathematics I created we are inspired from one simple observation. In textbooks describing all that flows beneath the earth, the inertial force is ignored, and doing so makes their force to be unequal to my mass times acceleration, which in turn violates Newton's second law of motion. That simple but profound discovery inspired me to retell a 330-year-old story about force equaling mass times acceleration. F equals MOA is a very precise mathematical formula that becomes imprecise when the initial force is ignored and the force becomes unequal to mass times acceleration. My rediscovered second law of motion evolved from the truth that grew from a small and simple story of the 17th century to one of the 20 grand challenge problems in 20th century computing and later into one of the seven millennium problems in 21st century mathematics. It was a truth that was at once small, grand and small, extraordinary and ordinary. If it can be said that a story is truly not known until the storyteller tells it, then the story of the second law of motion, first told 330 years ago by Sir Isaac Newton for the heavenly bodies, was not fully and truly discovered until I, the 30th generation, 21st century mathematical storyteller, retold it for the motion of all that flows beneath the earth and executed it on a supercomputer powered by 65,536 processors. Thank you. It took those 300 years of human development and exertion to enable me to tell that story. Whilst Newton needed an apple to fall on his head, I needed my faithful supercomputer to inspire in me the answers I was searching for. For 330 years, the second law of continuously evolved from the truth that grew from a small and simple story into a grand challenge, at once grand and small, extraordinary and ordinary. According to an urban legend, a famed mathematician, while delivering a keynote speech to the best minds in mathematics, scribbled an unsolved problem with a terrifying depth of complexity on the blackboard and challenged his fellow calculus grandmasters to solve it and win the Fields Medal, the Nobel Prize of Mathematics. Later that night, the black janitor, who was a secret mathematical genius, an undiscovered Ramanujan, not realizing it was a prohibitively difficult problem, leaned his mop on the wall for a break and went 
to the blackboard and scribbled a short and elegant solution and then rearmed himself with his mop. The next morning, the question on everyone's lips was who solved the problem? Not me, everyone answered. Soon the math community was abuzz about the mystery, this mystery genius. Everyone was shocked to discover that it had been the black janitor that solved the grand challenge. Coincidentally, in the mid-1970s, I too spent my nights as a janitor in the mathematics department of Oregon State University. Unlike the mystery janitor in this story, I went on to win the Nobel Prize of Supercomputing. When I solved one of the 20 most difficult problems in computational mathematics, a problem the US government classified as a grand challenge. As an added bonus, I developed an athletic build from pushing that mop up and down the seemingly endless tired hallways of a math department, pausing here and there to say hello to professors. Since then, I have often been asked by fledgling mathematicians, are you the, are you the mysterious black janitor that solved a famous math problem? My answer is this. I was a black janitor and a mathematician in 1974, earning $1.60 an hour, the lowest pay allowed by US law. I gained wide public attention for solving a famous pro math problem in 1989. However, I did not solve it overnight. It took me 15 years to solve it and to become an overnight success. The problem, which is similar to Nigel Stokes equations, is so difficult that it is the only one cross-listed in both the seven millennium problems of mathematics and in the 20 grand challenges of computing. As a result, for the most important law in physics, for the most used formula in engineering, and for the most important economic application, the force as computed in all textbooks is not always equal to mass times acceleration. My story was about making sure that your force is always equal to my mass times acceleration at all times and places. My story continued on a motherboard. I could not scribble my 24 million algebraic equations, a world record in 1989. I could not scribble those 24 million algebraic equations on 24 million blackboards. I electronically scribbled them on 2 to power 16 or 65,536 motherboards along a 16-dimensional hypercubic space 
working together as one seamless cohesive unit. By restating the second law of motion of modern technology, that which was old became new 330 years after it was first stated on Newton's Principia. My search for how to correctly retell the story of the second law of motion ended with my discovery that in the equations called Darcy's Law, which are used to recover oil, as well as describe all that flows underneath the earth, a fourth force called inertial force was missing, and therefore the sum of the forces was not equal to mass times acceleration. And consequently, the most important law in physics, the second law of motion, was being unwittingly defied because physics without the fourth inertial force reduces our computer petroleum reservoir simulation to a reservoir imitation. Some have surmised that it was my story that inspired the Oscar-winning 1997 movie called Goodwill Hunting. Which was about a young white janitor who solved a grand challenge mathematical equation. Yes, art can imitate life. There certainly are real life stories that have inspired screenwriters but to ensure a box office success, the movie hero the white, not black. The goodwill hunting writers may well have visited my website and been inspired by my real life story and went on to be massive successes in their own right. Success breeds success whatever the color. As with all great movies inspired by a true story, the truth is complex and deeper than the overly dramatized Hollywood version. As the story traveled to Hollywood, the black mathematician became white. The mythologizing and poetic recreation of black mathematicians as white sages has been typical since the era of Euclid. Few people realize that Euclid lived in a predominantly black city and never traveled outside Africa. 2,300 years ago, in North Africa, King Ptolemy Lagos queried his men of learning, who is your geometry master? Euclid the answer. The king summoned Euclid and queried him, can you teach my son geometry? Yes, I can, your majesty. How quickly? 15 years, your majesty. Is there a shorter path? He's a prince, you know. The king asked, your majesty, there is no royal path to geometry. Young people often asked me to reveal my secret and show them the royal path to making groundbreaking scientific discoveries. 
I tell them this story and remind them that Euclid's celebrated answer is as true today as it was 2,300 years ago. So when school children write me inquiring, what is the secret to your genius? I tell them that the genius is the ordinary person that found the extraordinary in the ordinary. A journey that began as a 13-year-old refugee boy in Africa, holding a mere acorn, Newton's second law of motion, ended as a 35-year-old supercomputer scientist in the United States, standing beneath an overcomplicated, radically reworked, vast oak of knowledge, his hidden solution of one of the 20 grand challenges in computing. I zeroed in on the universal truth, the second law of motion. That second law guided me into the blackboard, where heightened attention on F equals MOA and synchronous rhythm of 65,000 processors, working in tandem, and the details embedded in my 24 million algebraic equations allowed the future to emerge in the present and a profound affirmation of the capability of the motherboard to peer into the crystal ball and guide us into the future. The motherboard becomes humanity's unexpected path to truth. But what I was hypothesizing was not a planet-sized supercomputer or internet. It was a planet-sized superbeing. My reasoning was that we are more than merely humans who existed separately from other beings. I began by investigating the possibility of interconnecting 65,000 computers around the world. The overall idea was that a mega supercomputer could be a metaphor for living entities who through continuous interaction become the central brain of a planet-sized sphere suspended in the air as seen from outer space. This central brain is nourished and defined by the Earth's atmosphere, oceans and groundwater. This living organism has its own aggregate intelligence. This brain has a universal desire to break free of the Earth's gravity and enshroud the moon, Mars, and any habitable planet. The search for life on planets in distant solar systems has gained a tremendous following in recent years. However, the true frontier is not outer space. It is inner earthly space, the space within and between we humans. In reviewing the three and a half billion years since life first appeared on Earth, we can see there has been a self-directed evolution towards greater complexity and a higher collective intelligence. In a four-dimensional time-space continuum, we are one Earth-sized entity whose cells 
comprise all entities that ever lived. They are connected by the umbilical cord of our genetic history. Animals and plants are not unrelated beings. Species coexist, interact, and learn from each other, creating an incredibly vast web of life, a biological plot that clothes the earth. Advances in technology will enable humanity to possess superpowers as our 6.6 .6 billion humans learn to communicate. The supercomputer is more about computation than about communication than computation. The supercomputer and the internet combine computation and communication into a congruent whole, like the two sides of a coin. One cannot exist without the other. Similarly, I believe that humanity is a tiny portion of living things that affect the whole with both simultaneously co-evolving. I had an epiphany in the 1980s. I realized that computation is like the ocean and communication is like waves. Waves, waves emanate from the ocean but are all unique. Similarly, waves of communication swell out of the ocean of computation as both move forward through time. Our image of the future inspires the present, and the present creates the future. Today's supercomputer will become tomorrow's ordinary computer, and the internet will become our shared planet-sized brain. One day, individuals will, will become nodes on the internet, and the internet as we know it today will become obsolete disappearing into our collective memory. So as computers evolve into one supercomputer, and that supercomputer evolves into one internet, that internet becomes humanity. Eventually, all that will remain will be a super brain, a gigantic electronic organic web covering the earth. The nodes will be embedded in an interconnected network of humanity, all working as one. We are redesigning ourselves without realizing it. We have embarked on a self-propelled evolutionary journey in which we are both the creator and the created. Already we have embedded our consciousness and intelligence into computers. Eventually, we will succeed in embedding our computers into our brains. The computer will be inside us rather than next to us. When technology merges with biology, cyborgs 
cyborgs, part man, part machine, will be a real part of our lives. Are we redesigning ourselves as the cyborgs we want to become instead of our allowing nature to take its course? If I were to guess into your generation's crystal ball, I would predict that history will repeat itself. What is new and incredible today will be the norm and expected of tomorrow. In the 1940s, an expert predicted that surely the whole world will never need more than 10 computers. I predict that in the future, the world will, will only need one computer. And that one computer will be a planet-sized supercomputer. Today's supercomputer is an internet. Tomorrow's internet will become a supercomputer. In a few decades, your PC will be a piece of that planet-sized computer, which in turn is an internet. By definition, a supercomputer comprises of 65,000 pieces of similar processors, while an internet could comprise of 65 billion pieces of dissimilar computers. In supercomputing, the grand challenge was to figure out how to manipulate the pieces of processors to solve a problem. For the internet, the grand challenge will be to figure out how to do the same for pieces of computers working together as an internet. When we succeed, the computer as we know it today will become obsolete because you will not know which processor is solving your problem. It might, be, it might start running in a processor in Nigeria, but a few minutes later migrate to a processor pool in China and then get bumped to one in Canada. But you won't really care. Your grand challenge will be to force the frontiers of science. Push back the boundaries of what's possible with computing and climb the branches of the tree of unknown knowledge. And embark on a journey with an uncertain outcome. You cannot bring change without taking risk. And at the horizon myself, at the shittis, by learning what was already known before pushing what was not known. In the, 19, in the 1980s, 
it was not known that six to five thousand processors could outperform a supercomputer. I programmed 65,000 processors to outperform a supercomputer. I programmed it first. I programmed it better. I programmed it by projecting my being into the supercomputer. If a programmer loves his supercomputer and if he spent a decade honing his programming skills, honoring the beauty of its hypercubic wonder, in a sense, he and his supercomputer attain a special oneness as they solve a problem. He is not merely programming the supercomputer. They are programming each other. The in-programmer invents techniques for the technology while acknowledging that his technique must follow technology. The programmer, process and processor becomes one. It morphed into something louder. The redefined supercomputer as we know it today. And I moved on 20 years ago. Thank you very much. Insightful and brilliant lecture. I would like to invite Professor N.R. Mandal, the Steering Committee Chairman, Shetich 2009, to present Dr. M. F. Gwali with a memento to make this Shetish 2009 stay with him always. Show that would take your breath away. The